0: It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro.
1: Thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro here in the front row. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Coming up today, it's a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Danny Werfel joins us. Won the Heisman Trophy playing for a Heisman Trophy winner, Steve Spurrier at Florida. Went on to the NFL, but doing some great things right now. After his career with ministries in the community that he lives in in Atlanta and elsewhere across the country, great stories told here today. It is the episode featuring our first Heisman Trophy winner, Danny Orfel. Today in the front row with Mike Picaro, Danny. Again, I can't thank you enough for for joining us here today. Uh, a special guest with us, and, and certainly uh, what you've done goes far beyond what you've done on the the football field. We're going to talk about that obviously, but what you're doing now as well, and. I want to start at the beginning for you and, and and where things were for you you know you were born in Florida but you moved around a lot your dad was a, a minister a chaplain in uh, the Air Force so you moved around a lot what was it like for you as a young kid and as a, a young athlete as well spending different uh, times in, in different places in the country? Well it's I'm wondering
0: it's tough to kind of uproot and move every couple of years you know you kind of just get in your friend, friend group or Uh, You know, you kind of get your spot on the team, and then you're leaving. So there's always that sort of uncertainty and anxiety. But there's a couple things, you know. um, One, I learned that in different places in the country and around the world, people are very different. They do things in a different way. And it's not wrong often. It's just different. And sort of be able to appreciate differences without sort of having too much judgment, I think, is a huge benefit that I gained from from being in the military. I think the second the second piece uh, is really the role that sports played in that for me. It really, really helped because every time I moved to a new place, you know, you're, you're trying to find friends, you're trying to figure out where you fit in, but when you're on a team and you start competing right away, you just sort of have that, you kind of fast track that. So sports really helped me, I think, in all those different moves.
1: At one point, was was football the sport for you? And it, was it early on, or did that eventually become your sport? It was a, a bit
0: later, I think, than most. I didn't even play uh, tackle football until uh, junior high. I played all sports growing up and really loved basketball. You know, I, I, I liked that probably a little bit more at first and thought that that was going to be, be my sport. But, uh, you know, at, at, at some point, it just kind of turned out that, that football was was the way to go.
1: Yeah, certainly it worked out well for you. And and you mentioned, again, looking at different people and, and people do different things. Did that help you out as a quarterback? Because you're kind of the leader. You're the guy that's, you know, working with all these different players and not all of them are the same. Was that something that you kind of look back at then, you know, as you grew into that quarterback position?
0: You know, there's different types of leadership. You know, we do a lot of work now uh, off the field with leadership, but I even was just talking to the uh, the team at Florida, a few weeks ago, the uh, University of Florida about leadership. And, you know, there's some people are more vocal leaders. Some people are more through their actions. There's all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's really the opportunity you have to influence someone to kind of be the best version of themselves. And there's lots of different ways that, that you can do that. And I think each person's wired a little bit differently. And so there's no one one way to, I think, coach everybody. There's no one way to motivate everybody and I think you know part of back to what we mentioned earlier kind of being around in different parts of the world you just sort of appreciate those differences and 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 you learn you learn to learn about people you learn to listen and pay attention and I think all those skills I probably had no idea at the time any of that stuff was happening but looking back you know those were probably some of the things
1: that helped. Well it certainly helped you in your career you're an outstanding uh, quarterback in high school take us through those years and and how you developed to become the the standout that you were in high school. And then obviously that led to being recruited at the high level as you do, were on the, the college level.
0: Well, you know, I was uh, very fortunate. You know, when my dad was in the military, at one point we almost moved to Minot, North Dakota. And instead we moved to the panhandle of Florida. So instead of perhaps being a competitive ice fisherman, I, I ended up being in a football, high school football Mecca. and you know, it just turned out that the, the team I was going on, a ninth grade team, it was a great team, but just didn't have their quarterback. So I was fortunate, um, you know, and then even going into high school, oh, we had a real tough sophomore year. And so we got a new coach and the new coach we brought in happened to just be an electric and amazing coach that created an offense that was just really ideal that I got to play in for two years. And we won the state championship my senior year. We went 14 and 0 and in fact, we just had a 30-year 30, 30 uh, uh, reunion of our team, and all those old guys were walking through plays still that we had run in the national championship games. We just, you know, I think it was a combination, like a lot of things. We worked really hard. Um, uh, we were blessed with, with talent individually and as a team, and we were just fortunate. You know, a lot of times just things have to fall, fall your way, and, and all those things happened.
1: So we could have had our first ice fishing champion on our podcast here instead of Heisman Trophy winner. So I'm not sure if I'm upset or not, but the, we'll, we'll take the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner in, in Danny Warfel. Uh, that, that's interesting there. So things certainly played out well for you. 1991, the 4A state champions, and you become the top high school recruit in the state of Florida. What was that like? Obviously, 1991, still maybe before a lot of social media. So how did that recruitment process go for you? Uh,
0: I took three visits. I went to Alabama, Florida state and Florida. And every time I went to a visit, I went home thinking that's where I'm going to go. Cause it was just so impressive. Um, and I liked all three schools, you know, at the end of the day, I, I picked Florida primarily because, uh, two reasons, the opportunity to play for Steve Spreer as a quarterback. I mean, that's just too, too good a chance to pass up. And then secondly, uh, of the schools that I was looking at, Florida is just an incredible, academic institution. In fact, is now a top five public university. And I just knew that, that if I got a degree from there, if I wasn't playing football, that's where I would have gone. So I went to Florida.
1: Well, you mentioned Steve Spurrier, not only the coach there, but his alma mater. And, and he was a Heisman Trophy winner as well. I mean, is that something that put pressure on you or something that you look to him as kind of a role model for that path? Was, was Heisman even on your mind at that point?
0: Uh, I mean, not really, you know, not more than any kid jokes around. We've got videos of people watching me do things saying, oh, he might win a Heisman one day and those become fun later. But uh, it was really his success as a coach, as a passing coach that really led me there, you know, and it's always nice knowing you have someone coaching you that played the position. Um, One uh, ironic story that, that comes out of that though, is in my first interception, I thought the receiver had run the wrong route. So I thought, Coach was going to be real defensive of me. But when I got to the sideline, uh, at least I was grateful because the first thing he said was, oh, don't worry, Danny, it's not your fault. So I I was like, whew. But then he said, it's my fault for putting you in there. You're out. <laughs> so uh, I guess sometimes it doesn't work your way.
1: <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's pretty honest with you there, I guess. So so tell us about the, the early days because I guess you're redshirted a year. It, you know, it, it took you a while before you became the man before you took over as that, that starting quarterback, what were the early years like at, at Florida? And, you know, nowadays with the transfer portal, you know, I'm sure people would be transferring right away, but obviously you stuck around and, and it was beneficial for you and for Florida as well. Yeah. Well, my
0: first year I was redshirted, which was a great experience. Uh, Coach still had me dressed. I signaled plays into Shane Matthews, who was just a phenomenal quarterback, played a lot of years in the NFL. And so I got to learn a lot, digested a lot that first year. And then uh, the next the next year, I kind of played about half the year uh, with a junior, Terry Dean, who was a great player. We kind of went back and forth. And then going into my sophomore year, that was a little tougher because they named him the starter and just really stuck with him for, for several games. So I really didn't play much at all. But then about halfway through the year, He made a switch, and I finished the rest of my sophomore year and then played my my whole junior and senior year. So, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs uh, early, um, but, you know, anytime you're young and you get to play, you're just kind of grateful that you get the chance. Uh, You know, so I was uh, very thankful, and then, you know, as the years unfolded, uh, it turned out really well.
1: Yeah, for you, I guess, a big game. The turning point was the Kentucky game, right? You and uh, Dean were were both struggling, but but you ended up winning that game at the end, and was that the game that kind of put you in that number one spot moving forward?
0: Well, that was actually my, my redshirt freshman year, so that was sort of the first time I got a chance to go, and it's kind of ironic because he threw four interceptions in that game, but I threw three interceptions in that game. So somehow, I just ended up on the field in the last drive and threw a touchdown, and that did lead to me starting for a handful of games, but then we started flip-flopping still that year. And it was a, a year later, kind of mid-through, mid, mid through, where then finally the, the the switch was made more permanently.
1: Junior year, then you take over. You know, again, did you look at that as, as any kind of pressure on your shoulders taking over with Steve Spurrier as your head coach, Florida and, you know, the Florida product that you were as well? Uh, not so much then. I
0: was just super thrilled to get the chance. We had a great team. Uh, you know, one of my, my real good friends, even to this day, Chris Doring was, was a receiver and playing still. And, um, you know, we uh, a lot of people, you know, jump ahead because we did win the national championship the next year. But that 95 team was probably a better team overall. We just uh, ran into a, a, a Mack truck in Nebraska in the Fiesta Bowl for the national championship. So we didn't win the championship that year, but we had a really uh, remarkable team.
1: How much did that fuel you for 1996? As you said, you did win the championship in 1996. After coming up short the year before, was that number one on your priority list as a team as, you know, going into 1996?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, we really, really focused on the sec championship. I want to give coach credit for that, you know, and we won four of those in a row, which despite as much as Alabama and other teams have been winning national titles, uh, that's hard to win four secs. I don't think any of them have done that in a row, but I think the motivation, yes, uh, coming from losing to Nebraska, but also I think we learned a little bit uh, in terms of our preparation. I think we were a little too relaxed, uh, maybe overconfident. Um, you know, even even up to little things like the the night before the game against Florida State, my senior year. We we're in New Orleans, but instead of staying in the city where it was kind of loud and distracting, and people you know were sneaking out, like we left and went to a small town in the middle of nowhere to stay the night before the game, so we could be really focused and just one of many things that i think we learned that made us uh, more prepared the second time
1: yeah veteran coaches you see different things they do like you said to keep keep you guys focused you win that game 52 to twenty. take us through that game when you know it just seemed like everything was coming up for florida in that game against florida state like you said a school you thought you were going to to play for at one point well part of the beauty of
0: it is um So we were undefeated the whole season, and we actually lost to them the last game of the regular season, which in almost any year, especially back then, uh, you know, there was no four-team playoffs, you couldn't like lose and then still get in the playoff. You're pretty much done. And uh, so it was a really crushing loss. My dad counted that I got knocked down 32 times, and uh the uh several of them were late hits, a couple called, many were missed, and so It was one of those really weird scenarios where kind of all of the the main things we hoped for were gone, but we really rallied, we beat Alabama. So they were ahead of us and they got knocked out and then weird weird things happened. Texas beat Nebraska, which no one saw coming. So Nebraska dropped and then uh, Arizona State was undefeated and they lost to Ohio State, which wasn't expected. So then the last undefeated team was Florida State and we got a rematch. So it was this weird, bizarre scenario. A huge adjustment we made you know uh, now everybody runs the shotgun all the time but back then sprayer for a lot of reasons didn't run the shotgun we didn't ever do it. And, uh, and so he realized that their rush they were playing a lot of blitzing and man to man defense and I was just getting hammered so we put the shotgun in it bought just a little bit more time and then that's that's the, that was the difference.
1: And as you said, you had to be a little bit lucky to have things fall your way as well. The way things were set up back then, no playoff back then. And it just seemed like, and did you think this was meant to be when you had another chance at Florida State, another chance in the national championship where maybe weeks before it didn't look like you were even going to get to that point?
0: Oh, man, for sure. You know, and I just such a an amazing sort of to me life lesson that that season unfolded you know everyone wants to go undefeated and win the championship whether it's a sport or in life you kind of don't want to go through those difficulties but when you do and when you come back from them um, it's so much sweeter and then when you know when when things kind of happen beyond your control I think it gives you a little more sense of humility and, and gratefulness that you didn't just sort of I didn't just do this on my own. I'm the best that ever was. You know, there's this like, oh, my gosh, we're really pretty fortunate. And so, um, you know, it all came together. It really feels like the end uh, of, a, of a movie that was – like if it were a movie, you'd be like, nah, that couldn't really be because it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, this is probably the game where they were hitting me pretty good.
1: <laughs> they, they were getting you there. You, you guys, again, a talented team. You had obviously yourself, uh, Fred Taylor, Ike Healyard, offensively this was uh you had a lot of weapons uh, to throw to and a go to here uh in the 1996 year Heisman Trophy season
0: yeah we we were a very blessed team we had a a lot of electric players that went on to have great careers and just also great chemistry and uh it was a a real well-oiled machine
1: obviously as the year went on a lot of attention was on you and you win the Heisman Trophy that year What, what was that like you know, to to have that focus on you. And it seems like you're not the guy that, that wants to have the focus on you, but but it was. Was that difficult at all for you? So
0: uh, challenging, yes. I think one thing that I had done after my junior year was just realize that thinking about that stuff too much, there was no good in it. Like, you know, either people criticized you unfairly or they praised you too much and you get cocky. So the one thing I did was going into my senior year, I just decided I wasn't going to read any newspapers, uh, read any magazines or really watch any television. So in a sense, I was, you know, uh, disassociated from so much of that. You know, what I experienced was going to practice and getting hollered at by coach if I didn't take my drops right, you know, and, and then just being a teammate and friend and focusing on those things. I think that really, really helped. Another thing was, you know, a lot of teams uh, from a PR standpoint try to really put together the Heisman campaign. It's like a PR project for your school. And that was not it for us. I mean, if they did that, I had no idea. And in fact, if anything, Coach Spurrier really downplayed it and really focused on just the game. So I think I was in an environment that really helped take that pressure away so that when a moment like this happens where they they call out my name. It's just—it's an unbelievable
1: experience, and uh, and just a great memory. Yeah, and did it help to have somebody like Spurrier again, who had gone through that? Obviously, a different time for him, but you know, to to maybe know some of the stress that was potentially out there with people looking at you as a Heisman candidate. I think so. I—I I mean, he
0: just—he really shielded us all from that. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing about winning the Heisman is it's not like, you know, the Heisman race, but it's really not like we all lined up and raced. You know, it wasn't there wasn't like a throwing competition. It was like, no, you go play your game, and then other people vote on something that you can't control at all. So, like, why even think about it? Like, it's not even anything you can control. And so uh, I think he really helped set that tone, and that was my goal, try not to think about it. And then when it happened, it's like, I mean, I literally think it's uh, a dream at some point. In fact, um, Coach Spurrier has a restaurant in Gainesville now, and uh, a lot of my trophies are on display there. So we don't have it here. And, you know, it's like you look down there at this space, you're like, was there ever really a trophy there or did I just dream all that up? It's pretty funny.
1: Well, an outstanding career. You're in the Hall of Fame there at, at Florida. You're in the Ring of Honor. You've got a statue outside the stadium as well. I mean, you don't go into your career thinking you're going to have all that stuff, but when you look back at it now, all this time later and to see all that stuff, what is it like for you and when you bring your family back as well? It
0: really is surreal. I mean, to walk by a, a huge statue, um, we have fun a lot. There's also a statue of Spurrier and Tebow. And so we'll find someone like trying to take a picture with Tebow's statue and I'll go up and like, hey can I take the picture for you, and they're like, "Great!" And I'm like, "What about the other guys?" Like, "No, no, we're good. We just want to work with t Uh So we're, we were going to do some filming around that to try to have some uh, some funny things. It's it's un, it's, it's really surreal. Um, you know, probably if I lived there, I, I'd probably just get too cocky because everybody treats me unrealistic. Uh, and so uh, it's good that we live here in Atlanta and I'm still just kind of more more normal.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well, in Atlanta, where the College Football Hall of Fame is, and you were inducted there as well, 2013. So a lot of honors for you and, and a great career at Florida. After that, the draft, the NFL, you go there 1997, drafted uh, fourth round by the Saints. What are you thinking at that point? You know, again, you, you just won the Heisman Trophy. You just won the national championship. What are you thinking when you get drafted by the Saints in 1997? well again back
0: to i think i may have mentioned it earlier uh one of my goals in ninth grade was to get a scholarship uh and that was kind of my goals like so like anything playing beyond the college was just really like extra and so i was just really excited and grateful um you know ditka brought me to new orleans and was just really really pumped about that opportunity he had had success um you know we had success at every level that i had just been at so i was I think very hopeful. Uh, you know, I don't didn't have any, you know, cocky expectations, but just sort of was was hoping and planning and dreaming about being the the, the first quarterback to lead them to a Super Bowl. Um, but instead, I like to say we sort of laid the foundation. Uh, not really, we weren't very good, but uh, for the the Drew Breeses of the world and the Sean Paytons to come do it.
1: Yeah, they eventually did do it. But six starts for you. You're there, 1997 to 1999. During that time as well as I, I think you first saw Desire Street and, and the ministries that uh, you're now involved with, uh, is that maybe the, a big takeaway that you look back at your time in New Orleans with the Saints maybe off the field as more more than, so than on the field?
0: Oh, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I went there thinking I was just going to play football, and then I got introduced to some really amazing young people and leaders that were living and working in a really tough uh, neighborhood, in fact, often ranked. Uh, the worst neighborhood in the country by HUD. And um, just began helping there in the neighborhood with uh, with a dream of seeing some of those programs that we were doing with the kids expand. And, uh, you know, never had any idea what that would lead to, but was always trying to take the next best step. So I volunteered for several years and then uh, ended up uh, retiring to, to be a part of it and, and still, still going strong now, what, 20, five years later. Wow.
1: Yeah. It's been some time that you've been there obviously and, and doing some great things. So, so during that time, so you're volunteering and, and then you go to NFL Europe uh, after your time with the, the saints, take us through that because, you know, again, obviously you're still trying to be a quarterback in the NFL. You're trying to do what you can. NFL Europe was out there at the time and, and obviously you had success as well. And and you spent some time overseas when you were younger um, any hesitation at all going to NFL Europe? No, it was
0: a great opportunity. Uh, uh, Galen Hall, a former Florida coach, really reached out and wanted me to come. And uh, it was, you know, I, I Gator fans probably don't want to want to hear this, but it was a, one of my favorite seasons playing football. I felt a little bit like a, like a player coach. Uh, there were times where I you know, at halftime, drew up some plays that I thought would work based on the defense and we'd run it in the second half. You know, that never happens. And uh, really a lot of fun. We were in Germany and uh, Werfel, uh, my last name is German. We are German and it, it means either like a cube or or dice. So people uh, German, they would go to the games with wearing dice and uh, you know, I mean, it was huge. You know, these are like primarily soccer fans that usually yeah. go to soccer games just for a party. And now they came to watch a football game, you know, they're like, Verful get sacked. And they'd be like, "Yay!" like you know, <laughs> they didn't know they were just having fun, but we had a great support. We had a great little team and now we ended up winning the world bowl, which was just a great, a great memory.
1: Yeah. And this in 2000, you were the MVP. Do you, you remember that game and, and, and how you led them to the championship? I,
0: I did. The season was great. You know, the game actually was a, was a tough, a tough game. The defense that, that played against us really did well. In fact, our prior our defense really was, was the MVP uh, of that particular game, but just, we had a great season. Um, great, great coaching staff. My wife w- was over with us for, for the season. And uh, so that was really fun.
1: So you did that, obviously to try to get back to the NFL, which you did, you bounced around a little bit and, uh, you were behind some good quarterbacks uh, at your different stops with the Packers behind Brett Favre and Matt Hasselbeck uh, Shane Matthews who you backed up uh, with Florida uh, with the Bears the the Redskins as well when you were reunited with Steve Spurrier what was what was that like Uh, again you're trying to to be that starting quarterback in the NFL and and trying to go wherever it you know wherever those openings were what was that like for you that time uh,
0: well, certainly getting back to play with Spurrier, we all had a lot of hopes, talking about like things working out, uh, thinking they'd come together, but they just didn't, we, we didn't play really well as a team for the most part. Um, the times I got in, uh, got hurt several times when I finally got a chance to play there. And, you know, kind of looking back, you know, the way I would, would describe it is to, to be successful at, at anything in sports, but especially as a quarterback, you, you have to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. You have to have some fortune go your way. And as we've already discussed, like when I look at my life, that happened to me on so many occasions, more than any one person's fair share. And and so to the high school, to, to college, to the World Bowl. So like I have no, no regrets um, about my NFL career, I do on one hand think had I been in the right spot in the ideal time, I could have done better. But I also recognize that, you know, um, as a as a, just a pure straight passer, I was very accurate, but I didn't have a strong arm. Some of the other guys. And I think that limited some opportunities. Uh, and so, you know, I just have to kind of deal with that and own that reality as well. And uh, and be grateful for for the whole package of what football's been for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially in the NFL, being a quarterback, I mean, so much pressure on that position, so much focus on that position as well. I mean, when did you think, okay, it's just not going to work out in the NFL and and it's time to retire, which you did in 2004? Was it a tough realization for you to come to?
0: Well, it was it was interesting how it happened, because I was going to go back to Washington and went there and and had some some weird things happen in the uh, training camp and uh, there's some arguments between Spurrier and Snyder. So I was cut and I went home. And then in the middle of the year, they, they needed, the starter got hurt. They actually re- let go of the backup and didn't have a, another quarterback and they reached out. And, uh, and so I had the opportunity to go back. But there's a couple just different things that happened in the conversation. And plus the fact that I was working at uh, Desire Street. My wife was pregnant with our first child.
1: And again, that next thing for you back with Desire Street. So I'm sure that was always on your mind to to work with them full time. What, what was that like when you jumped into that? You know, both feet in now, full time, and and trying to make a difference with this uh, this group.
0: Well, it was you know a lot of guys uh, for a lot of reasons really struggle with transitioning. You know, they say that. You know, most everybody uh, is usually unemployed, bankrupt or divorced within three years of, of, of playing in the NFL, which is really sad. But I get it because so much of your energy and passion and identity is tied up in something. So I was so grateful to have something that I was passionate about that I could get involved. And not only that, but like. You know the 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 life of a backup quarterback on one hand is a very charmed life uh you know you're in the nfl even a a minimum wage salary is better than most of your friends are making you know you're not getting beat up but you're also not really accomplishing much you know you sit around i mean me and matt hasselbeck used to sit around having all these ideas uh but you know no one's gonna listen to us no one's gonna change a play You you know you know you try to be a good teammate and help but in a sense, you don't feel like you're making a difference. But as soon as I got to Desire Street, like day one, they're like, okay, we've got uh, these high school kids and there's no there's no place for them to exercise. So like I can get on the phone and I found people that donated a whole weight room of equipment. We got that there and all of a sudden we had a, a weight room. And then we needed to raise some scholarships to get some more people in. And I was able to to do some things that then translated into something that was different. And it was just really exciting to Invest your time and energy in something that you could see making a difference right away, and so that was very engaging for me right off the bat with this Irish Street.
1: Yeah, it seems like you you really use you know your notoriety, obviously, use your Heisman Trophy you know standpoint as well to to help things out. Is that kind of the you know obviously you get those awards, you get those uh you know those different things that come along with it, but is that <coughs> the, the big plus that you see the person that you are that comes along with that kind of trophy and that type of notoriety.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. Um, if if you have the Heisman Trophy title behind your name, uh, you know, it's kind of like you could you could uh, like win a Nobel Peace Prize or you could end up in jail and you're still always known as the Heisman Trophy winner, like no matter what happens. And so one of the perks is more often than not, people call you back when you call them. You know, people want to have you around. They want to hear what you're doing. Um, and so that has been a, a tremendous asset you know i think all of us have been blessed with with whatever privileges or assets or resources uh and and how do we leverage those not just for ourselves and our family but for others and and it's been a great uh tool to help bring awareness to causes that we're working on with desire street especially to to raise funds to to kind of help those in need and so uh you know it's it's kind of a a mixed bag It kind of have a bittersweet relationship with with being well known you know half the time i like to really not be known and just sort of blend in um but i've also found the value in it and you know don't get me wrong my ego likes to be stroked like anyone else's too so wrestling
1: through all that trying to make a difference well, helping out your ego as well as the, the Warful Trophy, something that's been established here for a while. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved with, with this trophy and, and what it symbolizes to you and, and to the winner each year the, on the college level.
0: Well, a lot of people don't know this or remember this, but uh, I read that interscholastic competition at the college level was actually created, you know, I don't know, 100 years plus ago. With the purpose of teaching young boys at the time, it was boys playing only, that uh, there's lessons you couldn't learn in the classroom. You know, there's just like they wanted to teach and grow young men into being mature, you know, helpful, community minded citizens. And how do you teach perseverance in the classroom? How do you teach grit? How do you teach the the level of teamwork and adversity? So they, like, you know what, hey, let's create a team that competes against other teams and and so like, that's in a sense, the core of, of part of the sport that we, we, we play and love. And it certainly turned into a much more of a business and it's all about winning. And so there's awards for everything now, every position, every accomplishment on the field, there's an award for, uh, but you know, with my mission of inspiring service and unity in the world, uh, it just made sense that when a group came to me and said, we want to have a college award, not for being the fastest or the most yards or the best quarterback, but for doing the most community service. It's like, yeah, you know, that that makes some sense. So we've been doing this for 17 years, uh, Honored amazing young men. And, you know, one of my goals now is and we have 100 nominees every year. And it's like, how do we tell more of their stories? Because, you know, unless you're like the best player on the best team or unless you get in trouble, you usually don't hit the news cycle. But how can we uh, at different levels kind of reinflect back into the, 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 the conversation, just some of the great things and the great young men that are doing it. And that inspires us all to do a little more.
1: Well, you're certainly doing things the right way. I know we're running out of time here. How can people follow you? How can they help your, your ministries and, and just get involved maybe if they're in different areas where, where the ministries are across the country? Yeah,
0: absolutely. We're Desire Street's primarily in the southeast. So if anybody lives in a city in the southeast, there's a chance we have a a ministry partner there um you know all things desire street you can go to desirestreet.org you can look up uh, a foundation or trophy probably simplest if you just well i say simple if you remember my name but you gotta figure out how to spell it DannyWarfel.com is kind of links to all those things but you know it's really primarily trying to to, to push desire street and the work we're doing and the Werfel trophy as well um, but yeah DannyWarfel.com is a great great place to start
1: well, again, you're doing great things and and great things beyond football. Like you said, you're using that Heisman Trophy uh, to help you get a lot of things done in the, in the communities that you're in. And uh, again, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us here today and and spending, uh, you know, telling us about those stories and what you're doing and wish you nothing but the best uh, moving forward as well.
0: I hey, appreciate it. Keep up the good work.
1: Thanks for having me. Well, great stuff there from Danny Warfel, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, doing great things with that trophy outside the realm of sports. And uh, our thanks to Wendy Moreland from the Warfel Foundation for helping set that up. Brad Moore as well, the strength and conditioning coach for UNCW, for helping connect us with Danny and his folks. And we appreciate you joining us here. Another episode in the books. If you like what you see, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and make sure you do not miss an upcoming episode. It is In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. We thank you for joining us here today. Have a great day, everybody.